0: Welcome, everyone. My name is Dr. Lori Little, and I'm a clinical psychologist, mindfulness coach, psychedelic therapist, wife, and mom. My passion is helping people learn to listen to and trust their inner healing intelligence, that part of us that is always moving towards health and growth. Ultimately, when we allow our inner healing intelligence to be our guide, we can stop looking outside of ourselves for answers. We can experience more joy, more peace, and more connection with others than we may have ever thought possible. Although it may sound simple, it is by no means easy. Join me as we discuss the many challenges and opportunities that listening to your inner healing intelligence can bring to your life. Happy to have you back. This is Dr. Lori Little and episode four of the Inner Healing Intelligence Podcast. Today we are going to dive a little bit deeper into the topic of what makes listening to and trusting your inner healing intelligence so difficult. Last time we talked about the role of invalidation, both being invalidated by others, as well as our own self-invalidation, and how that leads us to not listening to or trusting our inner wisdom. Today we'll be talking about a second reason for not trusting our wisdom, which is having a significant history of self-sabotaging behaviors. What do I mean by self-sabotaging behaviors? Unfortunately, there are an unlimited number of ways that we can sabotage ourselves. Over all these years, I've heard so many different ways uh, that we can make our lives more difficult or engage in behaviors that may solve a problem in the short run but can lead to long-term damage to our health. And remember, there are numerous aspects of health. There are habits and behaviors that can negatively impact our physical health, our mental health, financial health, and, and even our spiritual health when I say that we can engage in behaviors that damage our health, I'm not just referring to our physical health. There are so many other aspects of health to be paying attention to. When we act in ways that are in contradiction to our long-term goals or that are out of alignment with our values, we may come over time to not trust ourselves and to falsely believe that we need others to tell us what is the right thing to do. Today, we're going to be exploring a little more why we often engage in behaviors that we know are not good for us. And three steps you can start taking today to change. Before we start talking about specific self-sabotaging behaviors, it is important to remember a very basic life philosophy or a practice or way of living that is essential if we really truly are going to explore these topics This life philosophy is considered one of the primary assumptions in dialectical behavior therapy, and this is that at every moment, every person is doing the best that they know how. It really just does not make sense that we would knowingly and purposefully engage in behaviors that we know don't serve us. The underlying assumption is that everyone is doing the best that they can, and if they could do better for whatever that means to you, they would. Our assumption is that something is getting in the way of us doing the quote-unquote healthier thing. There are so many things that can get in our way when we think about it. For example, we might have a faulty belief system that we are not worthy or we don't deserve to get what we want. Maybe in a particular moment, we are emotionally overloaded. It's too emotional or too stressful for us to engage in the healthier behavior. Mostly what I see in my practice is that many people actually don't have the skills that they need. They don't really know what else to do. Much of what we talk about is learning new skills to engage in the healthier behavior. If this is a philosophy that is difficult for you to hold on to, Many of the folks I see at first don't really believe me when I say this is a life philosophy that can be really helpful for you to try to internalize. I get a lot of pushback initially when I start talking about this philosophy because people will say, I know what it is that I should do instead. That doesn't make any sense. You're saying I'm doing the best that I can in every moment. That's not true because I know what to do. So therefore I can do it. I'm just not doing it. But the reality is that just doesn't make sense. If you could engage in the healthier behavior, you would. Something is getting in the way of you engaging in the healthy behavior. What I'd say for now is if it is really, really difficult for you to adopt this or try on this life philosophy, what I would suggest is to try, again, just to be open. Think of this philosophy like a new hat or a new sweater. You don't have to buy it, but maybe you could try it on for a little bit see how it feels, and then decide whether or not you want to buy this philosophy. So just right now, let's just be open to it. Let's put on the I'm doing the best that I can hat uh, or sweater or whatever article of clothing you want and just see how it feels. You might in time come to see that this is actually a very compassionate and non-judgmental way of looking at yourself and looking at the world. Getting back to the self-sabotaging behaviors, let me give you some examples of what I mean. I see a lot of patients who struggle with stress eating or emotional eating or binge eating. Oftentimes, these individuals desperately want to stop these behaviors, but in the moment, so many things are getting in the way of engaging in a healthier behavior. For many of my patients, they know and are well aware that this is a destructive behavior and they know what else they should be doing, but something is getting in the way of them engaging in the healthier behavior. Many of my patients know full well they are going to regret emotional eating or stress eating afterwards. But in the moment, either the food tastes really good or it temporarily improves the mood or distracts us from whatever it is that was upsetting us in the first place. For many folks, it isn't a lack of awareness that the stress eating is a problem. Many times my patients will say, I know this isn't good for me but I just can't seem to stop myself. My emotions are really strong, or I just can't deal with life. And the food helps me to numb these emotions, and it really just helps me to cope. Sometimes folks will say, I know that I should just read a book or do a puzzle or better yet, go for a walk. I tell myself that's what I'm going to do, but I just can't get myself to do it in the moment. Just for a second, let me bring this back to the philosophy of we're doing the best that we can at every moment concept. Again, it makes no sense that if you could engage in the healthier behavior, like going for a walk or just distracting yourself, then you certainly would because that's what you want. Something is getting in the way of you doing what you know would be better for you. As an example, let's take my patient, Mary, who is, of course, not her real name. Mary is a single mom of three small kids, and she is also an attorney and has a very stressful job. Mary describes her day as waking up first thing in the morning and hitting the ground running. She typically lives off of coffee and protein bars for most of the day. And she says she truly doesn't even think much about food during the day because she has a lot on her mind related to getting the kids where they need to be, getting herself to work, all the tasks she has every day at work. She comes home from work and makes dinner, cleans up, gets the kids ready for bed, and she says typically 9 p.m. is the time when she finally gets to sit down and just breathe for the very first time all day. And she says this is a pretty typical pattern for her. Go, go, go all day. Don't stop. Don't think. And 9 p.m., she just crashes. She typically turns on the TV around 9 p.m. and the next thing she knows, as she puts it, the next thing I know, I'm looking through the pantry, I want to eat something sweet, then I want something salty, then I want something sweet again. Mary knows that she is not physically hungry. She just had dinner. They tend to eat dinner late, so she knows she's not hungry. It's not hunger that's driving her in this moment. It's something else, but she really doesn't know what it is. The most she can say is that she feels uncomfortable and restless, but she really doesn't know why. She has some thoughts like, I work so hard all the time. I have so little support in my life. I deserve this. So a lot of deserving uh, types of thoughts. She... Often will feel anxious, and she feels like her mind is going fast in the evenings. And so she thinks that maybe the food will help her to settle down or slow down her thoughts a little bit. It's hard for her to relax. She's aware that in general, it is just difficult for her to relax and unwind. And particularly before she goes to bed, she notices it's hard for her to sleep if her stomach is not really full. She ends up regretting it every single time. She can notice that her clothes continue to get tighter. She has to go up in sizes and is not happy about that. She promises herself every single night, tomorrow will be different, tomorrow I'm just going to get on the Peloton instead of watching TV, but every night she falls back into the same habit and she goes to sleep feeling really mad at herself, telling herself that she's a failure, she's no good, she's weak, and all these really, really critical self-statements. Here's another example of, again, not her real name, Jessica. Jessica is a married mother of two and has always been a stay-at-home mom, but her youngest just left for college and she finds herself feeling very lonely and oftentimes just very bored. Her husband works very long hours. He originally said he was going to retire, but then he decided he's not ready to retire. Jessica spends a lot of her time by herself. She started to engage in online shopping and going to the mall a few years before as she was noticing that her then teenagers were needing her less and less and she noticed a pattern of getting an idea in her head about a specific item that she really felt she needed. It was often a beauty product or a skincare product, and she would watch YouTube videos with lots of different tutorials on how to use this beauty product. And she would think about it and obsess about it. And then eventually she would either just buy it online or go to the mall and buy another skincare product or makeup product, even though there are probably three or four other new skincare makeup products that were sitting under her sink, totally not even opened yet. Sometimes Jessica hides her purchases from her husband. Either she will leave them in her trunk uh, if he is at home when she gets home, or she will try to put things away so that her husband won't notice Even though she and her husband actually share their money and share the bank account, she opened up a few credit cards on her own so that her husband couldn't see or judge or scrutinize her spending. She tells herself things like, I deserve this, I'm lonely, my kids have left me. Uh, She knows that she doesn't need these things and that the joy is only temporary. She also finds herself having to pay one credit card off with another credit card because she doesn't have the money easily accessible. She tries to set limits for herself, but she really never keeps those promises. She is particularly worried that her husband's going to discover this and get mad at her because this same scenario happened a couple of years ago when her husband discovered a pretty significant credit card bill that she had been hiding. She promised him she would never do this again, but here she is back in the exact same cycle. She came to therapy wanting to stop this behavior, but she really just doesn't know how to stop it. Maybe you can identify with these women. Think for a moment about your own life. Are there any behaviors that you engage in that you feel like you can't stop or you can't easily stop, even though you wish you could, and you feel maybe guilty about it afterwards? We can sabotage our own health goals with food, shopping, alcohol, drugs, gambling, We can sabotage ourselves with behaviors like losing our temper, yelling at our kids or our spouse, even though we desperately don't want to. We can also think about things that we don't do that are problematic, like maybe we avoid things we know that we need to attend to, or we have significant procrastination and avoid doing the things that we know we need to do. Again, as I said before, there are millions of ways that one can engage in a self-sabotaging behavior. And the idea is... That this behavior meets a short-term need, but it's hurting us in the long run. So why do we do it? The main thing is, is that these behaviors work, albeit temporarily, to manage our feelings. Oftentimes what I see is that we are anxious and the behavior temporarily reduces that anxiety. The problem is that when the behavior is over, when we've finished the box of cookies, or we've bought that perfect lipstick, the feeling is only Temporary. The joy that we get, the reduction in our anxiety is so brief. And the more we engage in the same behavior, the briefer that joy is. And then afterwards, oftentimes we start to feel anxious or mad or some negative feeling because we have engaged in that behavior. So we start the cycle all over again. We have anxiety. We engage in the self-sabotaging behavior. It reduces the anxiety briefly, but then we feel bad and the anxiety comes up. And we're in this chronic cycle that can be very, very difficult to get out of. What do we do? How do we change this pattern of behavior? Step one is to increase your awareness. What I often see with my patients are phrases like, It just happened out of nowhere or the next thing you know it. And so there's oftentimes a lack of awareness about all of the aspects that trigger us to engage in a destructive behavior. And the reality is, you can't change something if you aren't fully aware of it. If you aren't fully aware of all of the drivers, the motivators, the triggers, all aspects of it, then any changes that you make are probably not going to be sustaining. So, we really need to spend some time increasing our insight and our awareness about what happened right before. So with my patients, with Mary and Jessica, the first thing that I ask them to do is to start a journal. When Mary had the urge to eat or Jessica had the urge to shop, I ask them, before you do it, before you eat, before you shop, write down everything that you can notice about your current experience. Don't do it later, don't do it the next day or that evening, do it right then. Because in that moment, that's going to give you the clues that you need. Your inner wisdom is going to tell you everything you need to know, but you have to do it right at that moment. So right before going to the pantry, Mary pulls out her journal and she starts asking herself several questions. So if you're doing this, I want you to think, what is going on for me? How am I feeling emotionally? So that's the first thing you really want to be asking yourself. What is the word for the feeling that I'm having right now? Examples of feelings can be, I feel anxious. I feel sad, I feel bored, I feel mad. That can be a common one for folks with emotional eating. I feel lonely. What is the emotion or emotions that you are feeling? Another thing to ask yourself is, what was I doing right before the urge hit me? As best as you can, write out exactly where you were and what you were doing, if you were with someone, who was the person, what did they say, and really what we're trying to get at are your thoughts. What were you thinking about? And this is the hardest step at first because, again, oftentimes it feels that our urges come out of nowhere, but really our urges are a response to the thoughts that we just had prior, even if we're not aware of it. We want to act like a scientist, see if we can be objective and just notice it Again, with self-compassion, if you're beating yourself up, if you're telling yourself that you're worthless or a failure, you're not going to be able to figure this out. So the philosophy of I'm doing the best that I can at every moment is really helpful to pull this in right now. Knowing that I'm doing the best that I can at this moment, what thoughts just came into my mind? Compassionately try to understand what you were doing, thinking, and feeling when this urge struck. Step two is look for patterns. When you start journaling right before the urge hit you, and you do this for several days and several weeks, chances are good you're going to start noticing some patterns. Mary noticed that her emotional eating only happened at nighttime. After turning on the TV and sitting down on the couch, she noticed through journaling that as soon as she turned on the TV and sat down on the couch, the first thought that popped into her head was, I am so tired. I am thoroughly exhausted. And when she went on to explore and journal a little bit more, she talked about how she knew she should exercise, but she just couldn't because she was so tired. And the thought occurred to her, if I can just eat something, maybe that will give me a little bit more energy because I deserve a treat. I've worked hard all day. I don't have a lot of support in my life. I'm busy. I have so much on my plate. I deserve a little treat, which will give me a little more energy. She also became aware that another option she could have was to go to bed, but the thought occurred to her, I have so little time for myself. This is the only time I get for myself every day. I don't want to go to bed. Even though I'm tired, I don't want to go to sleep. Since Mary gave herself some time and space to really think about and journal, she discovered really the two key points that were driving her to eat were the thoughts and the feelings, I am so tired and I have so little time for myself. Step three is brainstorm solutions to the patterns. In this step, we will start to list all of the things that you could do to solve those patterns. Now, this is a really challenging step, and you may need to talk this out with a therapist or a coach or even a good friend, because this is a more challenging part to Think about alternative solutions to those patterns, because you might notice that as you're coming up with solutions, you're actually even realizing there might be more self-sabotaging behaviors. Let me give you an example. With Mary and I, we started with the fatigue issue. Her first thought is, I am so thoroughly exhausted. So we started there. And we realized that Mary was truly not getting enough sleep. Rarely do my patients get enough sleep. I am a huge proponent of getting enough sleep, which really is shown for adults to be anywhere between seven to nine hours of sleep per night. And I get a lot of folks who say, oh my gosh, I'll be lucky if I get five or six. This is a problem. And I'll go into this in future episodes, why sleep is so essential for our physical and our mental health. And Mary realized that she was definitely not getting seven to nine hours of sleep. We decided that really the healthiest thing she could do at 9 p.m., was to go to sleep. But that again is where this thought creeps up of I never have any time for myself. This is my me time. And so this led us to explore what were the barriers in Mary getting more support in her life? Why is this time 9 p.m. to midnight the only time in her life that she has for herself? why is that? What is getting in the way of her getting more support in her life? Why does she think she has to do all of this by herself? So as we start to brainstorm solutions, Mary actually started to realize and explore that an underlying trigger for her was realizing that after getting divorced, she felt like a failure. She felt like she had failed at her marriage And so this led her to feel like she couldn't ask for help because that would further confirm that she was a failure or weak. And as we explored, even if she had had those types of thoughts before her divorce, Mary recognized that even since childhood... She had multiple childhood experiences that led her to the conclusion that she wasn't valuable. She wasn't important. She wasn't successful. She just wasn't enough. She wasn't good enough. And so she avoided those underlying feelings of shame and not being good enough by overworking and never asking for help. And she was able to see how this is a pattern for her in her life for many years. However, she really wanted to change. She recognized this was a cycle of overworking, exhaustion, overeating, and yet still feeling like a failure. So all the things she was doing to try to manage her feelings weren't working. Mary decided that she really wanted to change, mostly because this wasn't a very effective strategy. It wasn't working and helping her to feel better. But she also identified that being a healthier role model for her children was really important to her. And that's one of the things I will often try to tease out to improve motivation for our children's benefit. And although, yes, of course, ideally, I would love it if my patients would be internally motivated for their own benefit, sometimes we got to start somewhere. So if making improvements in your life in the beginning is just for the kids, I'll take it. By becoming aware of how much her beliefs of not being worthy, these false beliefs that she was a failure and couldn't ask for help, as she became more aware of how much this was driving her, she started working on changing these underlying beliefs. We did a lot of work with mantras of reminding herself. She was worthy changing these thoughts that, of course, she didn't apply to other people, that asking for help makes you weak. She certainly didn't think that of others. And we then really needed to start practicing applying that belief to herself. Mary decided that she really needed to get some help if she wanted to change this behavior, and therapy was really the first step in that of asking for help. And we brainstormed that there are other ways that she can ask for help, and particularly with her kids. And so we did a lot of work on what are the ways that you can get support In raising your children, because the father was not as involved as he could be, most of the parental responsibilities were Mary's, Mary decided that she would get a part-time nanny. And the nanny then would pick up the kids at school and actually start dinner so that when Mary was able to come home from her very busy job, and we did some work as well on asking for help at work, but when she would come home from work, then she didn't have to do all the evening things by herself. Dinner was already made, so she could just sit and relax and eat dinner. And then the nanny actually helped her in the evening with bath time pajama time, story time, and helping her get the kids in bed. So that even though she had a lot on her plate, she wasn't alone. She was getting some help. And by 9 p.m., she was tired, but not that exhaustion that you can feel. Mary also decided to start taking some random days off of work. And this was crucial because fatigue was part of it, but also remember that Mary's struggle was, I never get any time to myself. So we talked about and brainstormed all the ways that she can increase time for herself, and she would take random days off from work, kids would still be at school, but she would just have some alone time, time just to herself. And she would start looking forward to these days that she would take off. She used to feel like she needed to hold on to all of her vacation days, even though her firm had a policy that they had unlimited time. Mary wasn't taking enough time. She started taking more time just for herself and even started planning a small Mini vacation, kind of long weekend just for herself. Mary started getting more sleep. Mary decided that after the kids were in bed and the nanny left, that she herself would get into bed. Rather than sitting down on the couch and watching TV, she went straight to brush her teeth, putting on her pajamas, getting in bed, and stopped the habit of watching TV because she found that TV was sort of an associative trigger. When she would turn on the TV, she would have thoughts about eating. And so let's just skip that all together. Let's really try to cut out the TV. And she decided to just read a book, get in bed, read a book. And she found that just reading made her more sleepy and she would fall asleep pretty quickly. So notice all the changes that Mary was able to make that significantly improved her emotional eating in the evenings. She increased her awareness, which is step one, The best way to do this is with journaling in the moment. Remember, don't wait. You're going to really have much more difficulty understanding all of the subtle and unique aspects of what is triggering the behavior if you wait until the next day or that evening. So in that moment, when the urge strikes, increase your awareness by journaling, writing down all of the thoughts feelings, and behaviors that occurred in that exact moment. Step two, look for patterns. What do you notice after journaling for a couple of days or a couple of weeks? You will likely see a repeating thought, feeling, or behavior that comes right before the action you're trying to change. And step three is brainstorm solutions for those patterns. This won't be easy. It is definitely going to require that you are creative, that you be willing to try new things or think of things in a new way, or just be open to living your life differently. But it is possible. Your inner healing intelligence is guiding you on solutions but you just need to listen. I hope this episode has been helpful for you. I would really encourage you to think about the behaviors that you feel you are engaging in that are not in alignment with your own values or your health goals, or any behaviors that you know are really inhibiting your health and your growth. You might have one, you might have 20, it doesn't matter, just pick one. Pick one small behavior. I would encourage you to start small. Pick something small. Don't go for the most difficult one. See if you can pick something small, a behavior that you know if you could change that you would feel more empowered and you'd be living your life more in alignment with your values. Try this three-step system to see if it helps you reminding yourself all along at every moment you are doing the best that you can. Every moment is an opportunity to better understand yourself and better understand what is getting in the way of you living the life that you want. Are your thoughts getting in the way, your feelings, not knowing what to do? All of those things can get in the way and really learning how to sit, be quiet, listen, be aware will give you that space to explore and give you an opportunity to learn how to live the best life you want. Thank you so much for tuning in. I will see you next time. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to learn more, you can reach me at com, where I share additional free resources and lots of information. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean so much to me if you could write a review and share it with a friend. See you in the next episode.